Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It absolutely was a surprise. I remember the day I got told, uh, I got a message from one of the sort of ATP officials asking if I had a minute to chat, and I thought, oh, bugger, what what have I done? What's What fire are we going to have to start putting out now? <laughs> And yeah, and then he told me I'd won this award. And uh, I think part of why it feels so amazing is because it was just so unexpected. So explain to me the award and then we'll talk about your process. So as far as I understand, it's uh, it's more the media uh, who, who decide who gets the award. Uh, and I guess with high-impact athletes, we've been making a bit of a splash in the sporting world around around rallying the troops getting getting as many athletes on board with this movement of doing good as possible and and yeah i guess that was the thing that that tipped it for us it's a philanthropic award so let's let's go right back to what was the trigger for you to say you know what i'm done here i i noted uh in one of the other press releases you said i was at my the lowest point in my life and you had won a tour on the futures and then there was an earthquake down the road and you were and you'd won a tournament or one of and you're going i'm not enjoying this i mean how low do you need to get? Yeah, look, I think every every professional athlete would have a similar story. I think it's uh, it's a very rare story that someone's just had a complete love relationship with something that you put as much effort into as as a professional sport. Like it, you live and breathe it. Um, so, like most other athletes, I've had some some real low patches. Um, and I was just very lucky that I found the right person at the right time who actually through very much a dose of tough love sort of snapped me out of it uh, and made me realize that unless I was 100% mentally committed every minute that I was on a tennis court or in the gym, it wasn't going to matter um, what I what I did. I wasn't going to make it. And that seems so obvious from the outside, but uh yeah, you can trick yourself pretty easily and trick yourself that you're really trying, but uh, the, that 100% mental effort that you see in, in a bunch of those names that you mentioned, the Djokovic's and the Nadal's, I mean, you know, trying to develop that sort of mental intensity and stamina. Uh, yeah, that, that idea was a light bulb moment for me and it led to, it led to a, a pretty decent tennis career. Well, yeah, so this is what you quote, and I, I'm, I'm going to say it, that the chapel of bullshit... So, so who is who, who's the pastor? Who's the reverend of the chapel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's Reverend David Samuel. Um, I've been working with him for over ten years now, and he's a big, intimidating guy. And I remember I just lost a really close match, and 
he sat me down and basically just gave me a bollocking for a couple of hours. And I was, I was a bit taken aback because I was like, you know, I, I thought I actually played quite well out there. But it wasn't really about that particular match. It was more about just him recognizing that I could do a lot better. And it's, it's, it's marginal points at yeah. that level, but I could be doing better and that compounds over time. And basically said, yeah, I, I was going to be a, just a tourist on the tennis tour unless I got my act together. And uh, it was hard to hear, but it rang true at some level. And after that, uh, yeah, we, we made an agreement that if I was ever, if I ever dropped away from 100% mental intensity for more than a couple of shots, then it was practice over. And it was, it was fascinating how, how short the first practices were and, and how tiring it was to be, to be 100% mentally engaged. But over time, uh, you know, built up that stamina and, and it really helped. So when did you decide to start giving away a percentage of your income to good causes, your, your philanthropic causes? So in, I believe it was 2015, that was the first year where I focused on doubles. And it was also the first year that I actually made a profit from tennis. Uh, because the expenses are huge. And unless you're earning decent prize money, you're, you're not covering your expenses. So I put some money in the bank at the end of that year. And with that little bit of financial security, I felt this real desire to balance the scales a little bit. Because even in team sports, as a the, the career of a professional athlete is very selfish. And it's necessary. You need to focus on yourself. But that never really jived perfectly with with the type of person I wanted to be in life in general. And so with this little bit of uh, money in the bank, I thought, okay, now I'm in a position where I can actually sort of help, you know, I, I, I can stop taking so much and start giving back. But I didn't really know how or where. Um, so like any good millennial, I jumped on the internet and started googling and uh, yeah, found the effective altruism movement. And it was just a light bulb. Um, it, it, it was like, all of the questions that I had about the charity world were answered so clearly and so rationally. And I started donating that year, made a percentage pledge the next year, and slowly built that percentage up over the years. And then that drove you to set up high-impact athletes, which is what? It's not just 10 athletes you're asking to give, right? Right, yeah. So, so when COVID hit, uh, the tennis tour stopped, and I had more time in one place than I'd had for half my life um, and, you know, more time to think. And I realized I was, I felt like I was sort of maxing out my, my donations, but I knew that I could be a better advocate for this stuff. And high impact athletes was the end point of that thinking was how can I be the best advocate? Uh, and I thought, yeah, well, I hadn't seen the ideas of effective altruism anywhere in the sporting world. And thought it would be nice to create sort of a movement or a, a rallying point for people to get behind. And that led to high impact athletes. And the whole idea is, is the whole idea of effective altruism in a nutshell is the question, how do we do the most good possible with each unit of resource that we have? And for most of us living in, in developed countries, that's dollars. We can donate our money. Um, so the idea of high impact athletes is pairing professional athletes with the best charities in the world and using the athlete platform to spread the message that it really matters a huge amount where you donate, uh, because some charities can be 
literally hundreds of times more impactful per dollar than others. So names that you have dragged into high impact athletes, have you has it, has it resonated? Yeah, that's that's been the amazing thing is how quickly it's been picked up. It feels like people are, are sort of waiting for something like this to come along, which is fantastic. Um, in the tennis world, the biggest name we've got, I think, would be Stefano Tsitsipas, mm-hmm. who's number four in the world now. Um, we've also got the likes of Raonic, Anderson, Struff, Milman, Lajovic. On the double side, we've got some absolute legends uh, like Daniel Nesta, um, some, of the, some of the top 10 in the world right now. And then also other athletes like Joseph Parker, the, the boxer, uh, Julia Ratcliffe, Hugo Ingalls, one of New Zealand's best hockey players for, for the last decade or so. Um, yeah, I think now we've got around 25 sports represented and, and around 100 athletes. And it seems like the speed is actually really starting to build up um, with, with recruitment, which is, which is fantastic. Okay, that's magnificent. So once again, congratulations on the Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award, but also congratulations on Olympic bronze, man. Uh, we, we were there watching, and when I mention Olympic bronze, I think of Marcus Daniel, incredibly emotional. When I talk about Olympic bronze, does it bring it right back? Oh, man, yeah. It's, uh, I, struggle, I struggle with talking about it because I do get very emotional just thinking back to the things that flooded through me after that match. Um, yeah, that was a that was a very very special time. <laughs> That's it. You know, you don't want to talk anymore, do you? Because you you want to make it through the interview. Well, uh, you, you and uh, Mike have been nominated uh, the early nominations as team of the year in the Hallibergs as well. So that's a nice little cherry. Whether you make the cut, who knows? Because it's been a, it's been a crazy old year. So what's uh, f- for you over Christmas, buddy? What's what's the plan? So the plan is uh, to go to my wife's family's place in, in the States for Christmas and then from there head down to Australia and we've got two lead-up events and then the Australian Open. Well, mate, uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. But once again, congratulations on the Arthur Ashe Award, the Olympic bronze. It's been a cracking year. Here's hoping 2022 gets even better for you, mate. Thanks a lot, mate. Really appreciate it.